0: Yeah, you know, that's an interesting point, right? And in, in some ways, the people need to be almost thrust into a leadership role just so they can get past whatever inhibitions they may be carrying because they're forced into a position where they have to take action. That's a strong word, such a simple word, but so many things that there's so much weight that comes with that. In the story, you know, the fact that she was hesitant because she didn't want to get dirty. And then she actually took action. And then even though she forgot the gloves and she knew she'd get dirty, she still took action again after that. I think it's definitely along the lines of what you say about it. She's gotta feel good about it. But then also, I'm sure she saw results. You know, being able to walk through her own neighborhood and know like there was trash there yesterday. My neighborhood was dirtier yesterday than it is today because I took action.
1: Hi, this is Joshua Spodek, and this is Leadership in the Environment. You're not the only one who cares about your impact enough to act. You're part of a global community undeterred by people saying, if others don't change first, then what I do doesn't matter, and other excuses. We've read the science. We can do this. This show is about personal responsibility, acting, and improving your life by your values. As guest after guest says, the challenge was hard, but thank you for getting me to do it. I wish I'd done it earlier. Listen on for leaders to inspire you, hear their struggles, and then act. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast to commit to a public, personal challenge of your own. You're not alone, and you don't have to wait for others. Brandon and I started by talking about how to learn. You have to practice. This is one of the most important things to get in education. Too many people read and analyze, expecting to learn from it. If you don't change behavior, you aren't learning. It took me a long time to get to that point. At least that's how I see it. If you read and analyze, you behave impersonally. That is, you don't learn social and emotional skills. We talk about his and his father's book. Then we talk about his smiling challenge. For what I said about it last time, ducking, acting environmentally, it showed how experiential exercises work. Watching TED Talks and reading alone don't get behavioral results like these. He started by himself acting more on rappers. I didn't talk about rappers. If I chastised him during the conversation last time on doing too little, which would have been me imposing my values on him, I think I would have inhibited him to do more for the environment on his own. I tried to react with non-judgmental support for where he was, that is, when I spoke to him. It was different when I recorded the post-conversation audio, which also came after meeting him in person and we became friends. But let's listen to the conversation. Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Rospodak. I'm here with Brendan Voss. Brendan, how are you doing?
0: Josh, I'm doing fantastic, man. Doing really well. Happy to be back here on with you, and, and I'm excited.
1: You're making me happy just hearing this, and uh, I hope the listeners are too. And I want to get to how the how this went, your, your challenge went. But just before we hit record, we were talking about uh, how a lot of times people have expectations when you start talking to them. It, it came up because I was saying how a lot of times I'll talk about the environment and people will hear something that I'm not saying out of, cause they've heard the same thing so many times. They're like, okay, someone's talking about the environment. I'm going to hear X mm-hmm. and it's that rut. And then I ask you, does that happen to you? Do you often get people saying, are you negotiating with me right now? Cause I feel like a lot of people associate negotiation with um, trying to get something from someone stuff like that. Do you get that?
0: You know what? I, I don't get the, are you negotiating with me? Comment as much as you'd think. And I think it's a real testament to kind of how the skills are, are built out because executed well, you know, good use of tactical empathy doesn't make people feel like they're being negotiated with in, in the quote unquote classic sense.
1: So if I read you right, you're saying that when you're just talking with someone, you're using the skills that you might during negotiation. I mean, tactical empathy, for example, is that something you would use? is it something that just becomes a part of who you are and how you communicate or is it something that you use when it's appropriate or when it's is it a tool or is it just a part of you or both
0: yeah you know it's it's a little bit of both i think i think that's a great question you know just just like a lot of things when when you get enough repetitions in to a certain degree it, it kind of becomes muscle memory right it becomes kind of who you are and part of your natural process in a lot of ways you know for me personally there are there are times when i have to be very Cognizant of making sure that I use tactical empathy skills, and that's you know, uh, and to my detriment, it's usually when my own emotional axis is off kilter. But more often than not, you know, it comes it comes off very naturally. I will say, internally, when we're speaking to each other, we do catch each other using skills sometimes on on other team members, and uh, we'll call each other out on it. And really, it's more natural than anything else. Like I didn't mean to use a label on you; just. It's become habit at this point. <laughs> so it's a little bit of both. It's a little bit of both.
1: You know, that's, you said it pretty well What's something that I'm ch- I try to get in my books because I teach leadership, entrepreneurship, taking initiative, and I teach repetition and rehearsal. And the more that you rehearse, the more it becomes a natural part of you and you don't have to try. And that's for any emotional, expressive, performance-based, active, social field, I, the quintessential ones for me are playing a musical instrument or acting, but it's sports Mm-hmm. That's the only you can read textbooks. You can read Harvard Business Review articles, but you got to practice. And then when you do practice, if you practice enough, it becomes a part of you.
0: Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And probably even you know one one step further that we really try to emphasize when we're when we're coaching people, you know, specifically for negotiations, and we're walking them through low stakes practice so they can get good repetitions in. One of the things that we say is you know perfect practice is what makes perfect. And so, you know, along along the lines of making sure you get repetitions in, you also want to make sure you're getting in solid repetitions. You know, you don't, if you're doing it wrong over and over again, then you're probably taking the wrong reps. So to your point, right, repetitions are extremely important, but you still got to make sure your mechanics and, and things are, are executed well.
1: There's a video online. You played football, if I remember right.
0: Yeah, yeah. In a, in a previous life, yes, I did. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there's a video of, I mean, there's one with LeBron uh, there's one with Steve Nash, which is a little more interesting, that is just Steve Nash for 20 minutes practice. So I guess there's a cameraman. I, I You can't see the camera operator, but it's just him saying like, this is how I practice. And he like takes shots from the line and takes shots from the top of the key and so forth. And, and he's at one point he says, I only count ones that I make. I don't count ones that I take because I want to reward success. I, I think what you were saying about, I forget how you put it, but like form. If you, if you practice form that's if if it's form that's going to hurt you, it's you don't want to rehearse that. You want to get it.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly right. I think I think that's cool, and i I follow sports kind of in general. I am a fan of Steve Nash. I have not seen that video, but now I'm going to look for it. But yeah, Steve Nash historically is one of those guys that is known very, very, you know, very almost Jordan esque mm-hmm. in the way that he practiced and how he put himself through the proper mechanics. Right, making sure that he didn't take bad reps, and if he took a bad rep. Then he's like, "Nope, that rep doesn't even count. I got to do it over again." Like that's 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 a great mentality to have. That's something that I wish for myself that I did better. You know, being uh, you know, just being that focused on perfection and making sure that my mechanics are always that on point. A guy like Steve Nash is somebody you can look up to in that regard for sure.
1: Yeah, I, I bet you'll find. I wouldn't be surprised if you find yourself using it in your workshops with the with the clients because obviously he's world class yeah. and. It's, you know, it's not like hard to watch and it really gets that lesson. And it doesn't matter. It transcends basketball as, you know, as we're talking about it now, obviously we're not talking about, I mean, we're kind of talking about basketball <laughs> and I assign it to my classes to watch and, you know, no one feels bad. Like, oh, Steve Nash, is he really worth taking advice from?
0: <laughs> How tall is he? He's
1: not like a particularly tall basketball player.
0: No, I think he's, I think maybe he's six foot six one. He's, yeah, he's not a tall guy.
1: Yeah. And Canadian, if I remember right. Yep. I think so. I think he's Canadian (laughs) origin. Canadian origin. Yes, he is. Now, this is making me think of, you know, after we spoke last time, I, um, I called, no, I texted the number and put myself on the list. And when you were talking about, uh, how you guys use the techniques with each other, there's a really funny thing with your father. I am sure you know what I'm talking about, that, uh, he's telling someone about using the last three words that someone says, and the person that he's talking to uses the last three words on him. Mm -hmm. And, like you can hear him starting to think like, And the guy's like, I just did it. And your dad is like, Oh yeah, perfect. (laughs) (laughs) It actually happened to me once I was uh, with a coaching client. And most of the time when I'm coaching the other person, my client is speaking more than I am because they are sharing their problems and so forth. Mm -hmm. And one time I'm maybe 45, 50 minutes into an hour long call. And I'm like, I have to apologize. I say to her, and I said, I'm I just have been talking the whole time and I don't think we've been doing your, you know, been working in your area. And she goes, yeah, I've been, I have an exercise called meaningful connection. She's like, yeah, I was doing meaningful connection on you. And I was like, Holy cow, you just spent like 45 minutes, like doing my stuff on me. And it it makes you feel so good. And maybe this is what you're talking about that when you do your techniques, it probably makes the people feel, it makes the other person feel good. I mean, when someone's, you call it tactical empathy, which makes it feel like there's, um, a military kind of sound to it, strategy tactics. Mm-hmm. But the empathy part, people probably feel good. You, I mean, if you're doing it with me right now, whether intentional or just because it's a part of you, I have no problem with it. Well, I'm talking a lot. But yeah, I guess it's it's funny because a lot of that technique, when you're learning it, you feel like, hmm, is this legitimately me or am I faking it? But then once it becomes a part of you, it's just you.
0: That's a really interesting point. Like just and 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 it really speaks to. You know, dealing with awkwardness, right? And and being comfortable with being uncomfortable. And and especially at the beginning, whenever you're learning anything new, it doesn't matter if it's communication, if it's sports, if it's playing an instrument, it's gonna feel weird, right? Like when like if you're learning to play the guitar and you gotta twist your fingers just right to hit the right note, when you're first doing that, it's gonna feel weird. And 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 I agree, especially when it comes to communication, you know, from from a human nature side. At the beginning, it's hard to fight that feeling of inauthenticity. Like, you, I'm, I am not being authentic because I'm making a conscious decision to communicate in a way that I wouldn't do normally. And that, that I think that's part of, of what people struggle with in the beginning with anything. You know, whether they're learning stuff from Josh Bodek or they're learning stuff from Black Swan or they're learning stuff from Tony Robbins, I think everybody deals with that. But exactly to your point, you can push yourself through it, right? Make yourself deal with the awkwardness. And then put the repetitions in to where you actually start to get good and, and start seeing really great results. Because so I think that's what really shows for people when they're learning stuff like this and you can see a big result on the other side. Like All I did was use a mirror and then they were talking for 45 minutes. I couldn't believe it. You know, those little wins help you get more comfortable and then, of course, just increase your capacity to uh, to execute.
1: Must be rewarding to keep in touch with the clients it is
0: yeah it is it is it's a it's a lot of fun my my favorite thing, very similar to what you were talking about. I love hearing about people executing like I cut this deal or you know i've i in a year's time i right, I was doing ten and twenty thousand dollar deals, and now eighteen months later, I'm doing ten and twenty million dollar deals, and it's all because of you know what what I managed to learn from black swan and th- those are always great stories to hear. I love, love hearing that stuff. And plus, you know, people like that is, you know, they want to go out and spread the word, right? They want to tell their friends. And that's, that's marketing as a business that you can never pay for, right? That's, that's like platinum level, you know, you can't even put a price point on it, but to their credit is if you got to execute, right, you still got, you could, we can talk to, we're blue in the face on how to do stuff, but if you don't go out there and you don't, you don't execute and you don't get the reps and you don't fight through the awkwardness, you know, you don't get to be one of those people on the back end that, that says, hey, look, I look look at what I did in this deal because uh because of the skills I used.
1: What fraction of people just show up and don't follow up and what fraction actually follow up? You know, it's um
0: these days, and, and when I say these days, really kind of since the book came out in 2016, we're running into a lot less, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, people are not as the feeling of obstinance, right? People just, you know, their initial, like, this is too awkward. I don't want to do it. We're running into that a lot less these days, especially since the book has come out. And because of that, you know, more often than not, people are executing on the outside. And what's even more fun is probably about half the people we speak to have already started to try to execute and they've already had some small successes. Now it's like, wow, now I got to learn more. Now I got to become a master in this. But in the, in the old days before, before the book came out, yeah, it was, it was, there was probably a little bit more, you know, there's more buy-in. There was definitely more, more time spent developing buy-in from the groups we were in front of that we don't, we don't have that op- That's not as big of an obstacle these days, but yeah, people are executing a lot, you know, especially now.
1: I bet the book also led to, so I bet the book is priming the pump sort of, sort of that it's like getting people who are more interested than rather than just people who are, I don't know, testing the waters. I bet it led to an increase in demand, which led to an increase in price, which led to less riffraff. I mean, I imagine the people coming to you now are like, I have no idea if you raise your prices or not, but I, I would guess you would. And that's going to bring you only the more very interested people.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And to, yeah, to your point, it has definitely started a great, you know, tidal wave of sorts for us as far as interest and uh, demand from from the private sector. And I think what's even what's really cool, especially now, is it's the book is is going beyond just the business community. You know, it's uh, the people in the business community have started recommending it all over the place, and it, it's, it's spreading, you know, and in, into a lot of other places. And I think that's just simply by a lot of word of mouth, and of course, you know, marketing on our end and, and things of that nature. But yeah, it has it has helped us raise some prices, and and really, I think in a lot of ways. Become a lot more uh, kind of we're solving a lot more niche problems. You know we're we're definitely getting a lot more focused on an individual level, which also leads to our ability to help you know larger businesses, but especially developing uh, attacking a niche at the individual level with very specific people. And yeah, it's been it's been great. It's definitely been a fun ride. We're doing our best to keep everything rolling.
1: Uh, let's go to the environment because uh, last we spoke then you had, you were going to, let me see, make people smile around you. You, you were one of the last that I've, uh, since you have, I, maybe it was with you. I'm not letting people do things that are, I, I'm like specifying it has to be an environmental thing. I, I'm, I'm imposing my definition of environment on people a little more. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, but I'm curious how things went with you. So in your words, what, what was your challenge?
0: Well, so yeah, things, things went well. It's been, it's been fun. And so I, I and I, I refer, I believe I referred to it as, you know, the lift game last time you and I spoke and, and really just like you said, it's about just going out and just giving people a little bit of a lift, right. Making them smile, making can you ma- add a little brightness to their day, especially if they've been low and I was really focused on that kind of for two reasons. One, right. I am part of a negotiation team. Negotiations, what we do. But even second, you know, second to that, something you said to me last time that really resonated with me is, you know, about people being part of the environment too, right? Like it's, it's easy to think about the environment, about all the, you know, the polar bears and the, the ice caps are melting and the global warming and, you know, migration patterns are changing and, and uh, polluting the environment, all those things. And, but we, it's easy to forget people are part of the environment too. And so like, how can I help at a people level, right? How can I have an effect on the environment at a people level? And I will tell you what I have found is it's somewhat self-serving. <laughs> it was not not an intention on on my side, but I think, I think it also kind of, you know, when we talk about a negotiation, never be mean to someone that can hurt you by doing nothing. And, you know, that essentially what that also translates to on the flip side is, what could people do for you if they felt like? it? And so what I have found is in places where I was making sure I gave somebody a lift that played the lift game, right? As it were, if it was someone that was in a position to give me anything at all, more often than not, that's where the conversation turned. You know, they wanted to help me out. And so simple example, right? Checking into hotels and knowing that You know, the people behind the counter are probably just upset because they've been yelled at by other hotel guests. And just, you know, know, with a big smile on my face, it seems like it's really been a tough day for you. And the look that you get from people when you can say something like that unprovoked and the amount of understanding that they feel, you know, that instantly, oh, oh, well, uh, would you like some free waters? Would you like me to set you up for late checkout? you know, it instantly turned into how can I go an extra step to help you out? And so that was not not the original intention, you know, dealing with people. I will say on the street, in passing, you know, just a a lot of smiles from people and a a lot of, uh, you know, turning frowns upside down. But that's what I found most interesting is that if it was somebody who felt like they could give me something in return, that's usually what it turned into. So very, very unintended and interesting effect.
1: I feel like, I mean, from the way you, Answered, not answered, but uh, started the conversation. I feel like you do that already. Was it, was you doing something on top of what you already do? Or is it something that you do sometimes, but not with like random people, but you do it with specific people you're talking to? Or,
0: yeah, yeah, good, good question. And, And so, to a certain degree, that is, there is some of that that I was doing naturally. And because of, in a lot of ways, the way you open my eyes up to certain things, I made it a point to start to look for people that I feel like I could help. And by helping, by just giving them a reason to change their attitude a little bit. And so on my end, the real shift was instead of going through my day-to-day or you know, walking down the street in my own head, in my own thoughts. I got, and so like, for example, last time I was in Manhattan, a few weeks ago. And it's one of the few places that I found you can get orange, strawberry, Tropicana orange juice in a carton is in is in delis all across manhattan island and so when i'm there in the morning that's what i like to do get up and go get me that orange juice because the only place i can find it and coming out of this delicatessen running into this gentleman that was um uh you know probably construction worker early in the morning right he's grumpy he's probably been up for like five hours already and he's stopping in to get a cup of coffee And I I don't remember exactly what I said to him, but I made it a point to try to affect his mood on the way out the door. And he turned and gave me this great big smile. And then he actually opened the door for me on the way out, which I just thought was really interesting, especially because like in our society, you know, a man doesn't go out of your way. Well, you know, people don't really open the door for each other in general, but you want to be chivalrous, you're opening the door for a woman, right? It's nice and polite. And just because I was able to affect his mood and I went from being like this random person to like, ah, you know, there's another human being, somebody that I might actually want to drink a beer with. Right. Who knows what he was thinking? He was immediately prompted to, you know, I'm going to open. I'm, I'm standing right here close to the doorway. You're on your way out. Let me open the door for you. And there's there was a lot of instances like that, that I just, you know, I, I, I guess I, I've taken for granted what effect I can have on others in a positive way at any given step of the day right at any given moment can you have a positive get out of your own way and have a positive effect on someone else and and i was able to really focus on that and it was fun to just have fun making other people you know just a little bit happier and so that's what i found and i i I thought it was really interesting because it's you know human nature dynamics and how all that stuff plays together and the way you know the that Individuals ignore each other in public, and we're stuck on our phones, especially in today's world. And just you know, flipping somebody's attitude in an instant and becoming a human being, and, and you know, it's just it as an interesting effect. You can see it in people's eyes. That's the best way I can describe it. When you look into someone's face, and you can see you had a positive effect on their
1: day. Did this happen every time, or did it take take a while to kick in? Or, I mean, if that sounds like what you're talking about, is I don't know. Did it come from? Many interactions, or did right off the bat? Did you find this?
0: Yeah, you know, a well, good question. I, I, there are varying degrees of response, and so at the highest level, right, like the the gentleman I described uh, that I ran into in Manhattan Island, all the way down to just kind of a passing smirk and a head nod. But either way, you know, the when when people, and I, I think you know, this is this relates to human nature. There's something about people want human connections. It's somewhat of you know, a natural human desire. We want human connection. Even those of us that like to be alone and with our thoughts, there's still a need for human connection, right? That even goes back to our caveman days. We survived because we survived together, right? The people that try to live alone, they don't have a very long uh, uh, family tree, right? And so that playing on some of that human nature need and then being able to observe someone that is completely caught In their own mind, in their own dark place, under their own black cloud. When you start looking for that as you're moving around during the day, just looking for that in other people, it's not that hard to see when people are just physically upset and are just not having a good day. And to go out of your way to have a a positive effect on them, their initial reaction might be like, Who the heck are you? But very quickly that subsides. And I think it, you know, it'd be interesting to follow people around, right? Be a fly on the wall and see how the rest of their day went. I think that's the other part of this kind of experiment that I feel like I missed out on. I almost wish I could track them and see what happened for the rest of their day, right? But being able to instant see, see a change in their face in the moment and knowing that you had a direct effect on, you know, a human connection for that person at that time is a cool thing. But I got to admit, I enjoy it. I think it's something I'm going to try to do more of. Pick out people that I see during the day that are just down, and see if I can't give them a little bit of a rise.
1: It sounds like the idea of execution and perfect practice is something that you've internalized, also not just the, not just the products of it, but that that practice itself. And it sounds like that's what you're doing is perfect perfect practice.
0: Yeah, you know, I think I think in a lot of ways that it probably lines up with that, right? This low stakes perfect practice stuff. It probably lines up very closely with it. And I will say when I don't have. You know, let's say on a scale of one to 10, I try to give somebody a lift and I get maybe a two out of 10 when I was expecting like a seven or an eight. It's definitely, uh, you know, I'm very introspective in those moments. Like, okay, well, how could I have done that a little bit different? And then the next person I see, I'm going to make a slight adjustment into my approach to them and then gauge their reaction. And Maybe maybe next time I got a four. It's like, all right. So that was a little bit that was a little bit better approach there. Right. This random individual probably doesn't want to talk to me and I walk up and want to make them happy right? How do I overcome some of that initial uh, negative reaction and then actually leave them with a positive effect and then take do it all in about five to 10 seconds? You know, it's, it's, it's also dealing with that component of interaction, I think, you know, relates closely to, you know, how do you have a good first impression with people? And so in a lot of ways, I guess that's probably good practice for that. And I, I hadn't really thought about it in that sense. But yeah, I think that probably lines up.
1: Yeah. I feel, well, now that you, <laughs> I feel like you, probably find things that when they work for you automatically start practicing them. And now you're doing this. And now, now finally you're going to become a friendly person.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. I won't be a, that mean jerk that I've always been walking around with a, with a mean uh, look on my face. All the time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right,
1: I'm going to go in a different direction. I don't want to, I'll, I'll try to be as upfront as I can here. When we spoke last time and you, you said, this is what you're going to do. And then I persisted a bit and said, well, could we do, do something, is this really environmental? And you said, yeah, this is part this is for your definition of environment. This is your definition of the environment. Yeah. Let's take what you talked about your experience here. And I wonder how much of this would translate to environmental things. Uh, you know, my definition of environment, because here's what I'm thinking. You said that uh you're like, well, I already recycle and it, you know, I only have so much time. I'm kind of busy. I don't, I might not have, have time for things like this. Mm-hmm. And now I think that going back to what we said at the very beginning of our call uh, today, is I think a lot of people expect things to be a certain way. And so they see it that way, but that doesn't mean it is that way. And I think, is it possible that the way that you got stuff, you ended up doing this as much for yourself as for the others? Because you're expecting that if you get a smile out of someone, then they're going to open the door for you. They're going to do things like that for you. Now, people want human connection, but I think people also want natural connection. And I think people get a good feeling from that. And I think that you you talked about sometimes going out of your way, but for like a few seconds to get this interaction from people. I think that is it, I read, and I might be the only one who sees it this way, but I think that if you applied the kind of skills that you were doing here, instead of trying to get a smile from people or on top of getting a smile from people, if you also did something in some sort of benign way with the environment, the natural environment, not just people, Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. then
1: I think that you would get that same feeling of reward? Well, I'll put it as a question. Do you think you might get that same feeling of reward, a similar type of, a comparable type of feeling of reward back from nature in some way? Obviously, it it doesn't have a, a human brain to respond to you like a person does, but also that the feeling of going out of your way would only be for a couple seconds and that it would benefit you more in the long run and that that you might develop an expectation of, I'm doing this really for me, as much as I'm doing it for nature would, would the similar type things that you're getting from your human environment, your social environment, do you think there might be a parallel applying similar type skills to your natural environment?
0: I can't imagine that there wouldn't be, I can't imagine that there wouldn't be. And, uh, you know, to your point, like, especially having an effect on the, on the natural environment, like for example, Having spoken to you last time, there's definitely little things that I'm even doing as far as like throwing stuff away or picking up trash or whatever that I wasn't necessarily doing before, just being much more conscious of it. Like, for example, like in the past, if I had a wrapper to a mint, right, like, you know, those little those little white Lifesaver mints, like something like that, you see those around in people's offices a lot, mm-hmm. you know, I'd probably unwrap something like that. And it's just a tiny little small piece of trash. In the past, I would not be very conscious of what I did with that, whether I dropped it on the floor or I left it on the table or, you know, I, when, when I put it down, it blew on the ground. You know, I, I was definitely not as conscious. And I find myself these days, I'll take the wrapper off. And if I don't have a good place to put it right away, I put it in my pocket until I have a chance to throw it away in a good spot. And it's and it's interesting. I, I I credit I credit that to you because I you know I definitely was not as conscious of that before the last time you and I got a chance to speak. And there is, I think, you know, first of all, it's somewhat motivation for me to have a more conscious effect on the natural environment. But knowing that the ripple effects of throwing away a piece of plastic in a recycling bin knowing that it's not going to end up wrapped around some sea creature's neck or some you know, some whale choking on it. You know, they're definitely understanding the ripple effects of, of stuff like that. There's, there's a lot to it. And it's, you know, to points you've made before, if if everyone on the planet did our part, just did little things like that, imagine what the overall effect would be. And so, you know, I, I got to admit, I'm, I'm willing to take the challenge <laughs> to be much more engaged in that.
1: Well, a couple of things I have to comment on. One was that uh, when you say if, if everyone on the planet did a little bit, I think, remember I said earlier, a lot of people hear environment, they forget the leadership part. I think that if a lot of people did those little things, what would happen is one, they'll feel good. And that alone, that's something on its own, even if it's, even if it has a, a small effect on the environment. The other thing is, I think it's not that the little things add up, although I won't argue against someone who says that it, the little things may add up, but the little things lead to the big things and the big things add up. And you don't get to the big things if you don't do the little things. As we were taught, the same thing with perfect practice, and which is why I don't mind you associating me with garbage. <laughs> <laughs> All right, no, I went, Come on. How? How? how, how I like, can the, possibly yeah, you like you that possibly accused. I mean, you're me, I guess, with responsibility <laughs> and uh, attention to detail. Actually, it's funny because I just posted. Um, now, here, are some people are going to sound are going to hear me sounding kind of sound sanctimonious, but. Uh, I volunteer with Riverkeeper. So at the Hudson, it happens that this Saturday, I'm going to go out at 1:30, and we're going to go pick up a bunch of garbage. And they catalog it, and they find out like how much of it is plastic, and how much of it is this plastic, this type of that type. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I'm like, well, I want people to know that I'm doing this, so I post it to my to my social feeds. So I'm like, and I write, "Do you like picking up other pe- other people's garbage? I do." <laughs> and then I said, you know, I, I prefer it wasn't there, but if it's there, I'd rather pick it up. I'd rather get my hands dirty than just leave it there. And it's a weird thing. Like, before I started doing it, I would not like picking up people's garbage. Now I'm on TV for plugging. <laughs> I guess they found it. Uh, some local TV station um, contacted me and said, we're doing a story on plugging, which is jogging and picking up garbage at the same time. And so they sent a crew down. They they recorded me. I'll send you a link. <laughs> and uh, so this is all just a gesture. Like when I say I don't mind being associated with garbage because garbage is a big deal these days.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, to uh, yeah, to put it lightly, garbage is a big deal these days. But, you know, to your point, too, I like what you said about, you know, wanting to post that you're doing it and then the way that you phrased it. You know, do you like picking up other people's garbage? I do. You know, part, I think, and this, not only does that relate directly to the environment and then being the steward of the environment in a lot of ways, but I think it also relates directly to a leadership point of view because to be a leader, you got to stand out. You know, you gotta, you gotta do things a little bit different to be a leader, right? You gotta be a little bit more pointed. You gotta be, you gotta be willing to go against the grain in some cases to be a leader. And that is a very much against the grain uh, approach to not only what you're doing, but also how you're telling the world about it. And I think in a lot of ways it opens up um, an opportunity for people who think like you to get on board with you. And I think that applies to everybody. And so, in a lot of ways, you, you, you're displaying yourself as a leader because it's I'm willing to step up and do this, and then tell the world that it's happening. And that's kind of a cool thing.
1: I'm partly inspired by a friend of mine. I didn't interview for this podcast, but we took a class in business school together. Yeah, and she contacted me and and wanted to help with this project with with my work. And I said, all right, well, if you do, like, let's do something environmental. So I did this technique with her of you know asking about her value and if she could. I invited her to do something at her option. And so it turns out that she, has, uh, she lives outside the city and it's grassy out there. And she has taken a walk every day of her life for decades. And she's been meaning to pick up garbage when she walked, but she never has. And part of it was that she didn't want to get her hands dirty. Germophobe, the word came up, I think. And she was all freaked out about it. And Did I tell you this before? No, no, no.
0: I, but I understand what you mean about that. I want to do this, but I don't want to get my hands dirty, right? <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, yes, and please go ahead. <laughs> so she says, uh, so I say, well, can you bring some gloves? And she's like, oh yeah, I guess I could do that. So the next time I talked to her, I said, how did it go? And so the first day she goes out with the gloves and picks up garbage and she feels great about it. Next day, maybe it was the second or third day she goes out. She forgot the gloves. And she liked the experience from the first first day so much. She she was like, oh, I don't need the gloves. So decades of not acting because of like this, what she would I guess she would call a phobia. Yeah disappears. There's a lot of people out there who are like, "Oh, we got to raise awareness. We really got to raise uh, consciousness about this stuff." I'm like, "It's front page of the news for decades. It's like front page headlines. Hurricanes and you know and and garbage and all the stuff. Everyone's aware. It's not that there it's not a lack of awareness. It's a lack of action. Once people act, even in your case, you were doing something not particularly related to my definition of environment, but you were acting and you were getting something out of it. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, I'm reading that you're a little more open to doing something environmental that the, you know, my definition of environment, that I think of an expectation, oh, it might go the way this thing went. And in her case, it was like, she could have done it. Well, I mean, maybe there's a piece of leadership to it because this technique that I've been developing, it's, I've refined it over a long time and a lot of, you know, hundreds of people. And maybe maybe a lot of people need a bit of leadership to do, to do things they haven't already done to break them out of, to get them out of their ruts.
0: Yeah, you know, that's an interesting point, right? In, in some ways, the people need to be almost thrust into a leadership role just so they can get past whatever inhibitions they may be carrying because they're forced into a position where they have to take action. And that, I, that's, a, that's a strong word, such a simple word, but so many things that there's so much weight that comes with that. And in the story, you know, the fact that she was she was hesitant because she didn't want to get dirty. And then she actually took action. And then even though she forgot the gloves and she knew she'd get dirty, she still took action again after that. And its I think it's its definitely along the lines of what you say about it. She's got to feel good about it. But then also, I'm sure she saw results. You know, being able to walk through her own neighborhood and know, like, there was trash there yesterday. My neighborhood was dirtier yesterday than it is today because I took action. And being able to see things improve around you, I think that definitely taps right into human nature response, right? If you can see the action taking place, I think that's part of the reason why people, you know, there's still some people in the world that don't want to accept global warming, right? And and climate change, because if you lived in one place your whole life, and you've only seen that type of weather, right, you haven't been to see the icebergs melting, you haven't, had uh, you know, there hasn't been a direct effect on your immediate life because of certain things, then it's a little bit harder to wrap your mind around. But when you start to actually see the change, and then you can relate the change to action, you know that you took. There's no way that there isn't a, a huge amount of you know just self rewarding fulfillment that comes along with that.
1: Yeah, I think that rewarding feeling also. Yeah, exactly. I think that's what that's what I try to give people is that rewarding feeling. I guess it's also seeing the actions, seeing the results of the action, as you said. I think that rewarding feeling is, to me, I walk into the interaction with people with, to me, it's a given that if they do something, they will feel that. And it's largely devoid from what you read about in the paper. All the stuff is like, here's one little thing that you can do. Like, I don't think it's really going for the feeling part. And I think that's, to me, leadership is in there. And I, I mean, that's a lot of what I get from negotiation too. Is it's like this emotional play that people, I guess a lot of people associate it with negotiation with like feeling really, did I ask you, I I know that the word negotiation comes from like, it's like hard business or something like that. The root of the word is like undesirable is I forget what the word means, but it's like uh, where the, what the root of the word is, but it's like bad feeling or something really difficult.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of negative connotation that comes with negotiation and it it definitely stems from kind of the original understanding of what negotiation is defined as.
1: What is it for you when you negotiate? Is it something, are you, do you look forward to it? Is it is it something you're enthusiastic about it? Or?
0: Yeah, you know, I, uh, definitely something I'm enthusiastic about. You know, I don't know if I necessarily have the same reaction to it, you know, maybe 12 or 15 years ago, but I think 12 and 15 years ago, I wasn't as aware of how often I'm actually in the middle of a negotiation. But yeah, these days, something I definitely look forward to. And, you know, it's definitely, uh, I relate it to both navigation and influence, Right. And then in order to be able to navigate properly and influence the way you're looking. Right. In order to influence in the direction you're you're aiming at, you got to make people feel a certain way. You know, we talk a lot about emotional moments in negotiation. And I think it's it it relates to leadership as well, because people follow leaders because they feel like it. right. That leader represents something that they can very closely identify with. And because of all of those added up things, right, like you mentioned before, all those little things that add up to the big things that actually make a difference. I think that's what, you know, that's those parallel very closely. People are willing to go an extra effort if they feel like it. And so how are you contributing to the emotions that are driving that person in in the direction you want them to go? And I I think that's very closely uh, related to how I approach negotiation, how we approach negotiation. Uh, as a black swan team
1: feeling inspired do you like hearing others acting that you're not alone go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast to hear other interviews but even more valuable join the growing community of people who care enough to act not just talk read the list of people who have taken on personal challenges and then commit to one yourself don't be surprised if you end up loving it changing more and finding people following you without you even trying that's what happens when you improve your life by living by your values. So going back to what, you're, what we were talking about uh, before I start talking about my friend who with the gloves, Yeah, it sounded like you were open to the idea of extending, doing a, a new challenge. I want to give you an option. Do you want to, do you want to come up with one on the call? Or I could also just leave it. I, I do this with a bunch of people. It's like leave an open invitation. If you come up with something, I'd love to hear how it went. And if you wanted to just tell me or, or record, do you want to? Go for something else. And if so, here or on your own separately?
0: Sure. Well, actually, you know what? I would be very willing to hear your suggestions. And I'll put it to you like this, because I think some of it is I'm in your classic, right? Your classic average person that's having trouble getting out of their own way. Because the way I'm seeing things, right, I already try to recycle, right? I volunteer my time in in this place and, and in this location. And there's a couple different things that I do. So at a certain level, I got to admit, I partially feel like, you know, I'm, I'm doing some things already. And so if I could have a suggestion from you on, you know, maybe you might want to think about adding this to the, the repertoire of, of things that you're doing, I'd be happy to talk it through with you, man.
1: So I find the most effective way to start is to go back to when you think about the environment, what do you think about because last time you, you went right to people and people are part of the environment. So yeah, that's what a part of it. But what about when you think about the environment, the non-people part of it? I mean, actually, actually I take it back. I, if I remember right, the first thing you said was animals before. Yeah. And I've actually learned a bit since then. Uh, one of the things I noticed is that people's responses, first, they're all unique. I really thought when I first started asking people this question that they were going to give the same answer I did because the way I feel about the environment feels to me so universal. It feels to me like, you know, how does thirst feel? But it's it's not that. It's really, everyone's got their unique answer. And so I love hearing the uniqueness and the person, it tells me something about the person and about humanity. And the other thing is, um, it's usually not a verbal thing. Like they, they try to put it into words, but it's usually a memory, it's a feeling. It's something that, it's like an image. And it's not always something, they, they can kind of put it to words somewhat. Like um, when I was talking to Fred Krupp this morning, and he he talked about, have you ever walked through a, you know, like a, an, an untouched forest? And as soon as he said it, I'm like, I haven't been to one, but I can certainly think of pictures that I've seen in magazines and on, on nature shows and things like that. And I have a feeling that that kind of image is in his head. Because for me, it's more like rainbows. It's like, there's an, a, a, an aesthetic beauty that, that comes to mind for me. And it's a feeling that I can't exactly put into words. So uh, sorry about talking so long, but is there... When you think of the environment, when you think of the environment, what, what comes to mind?
0: I guess the first image that comes to my head is being in the mountains, when I think of the environment, and I think that's mostly because, you know I've, I've always liked the mountains, I love running around in the mountains and fishing and camping and experiencing that environment, and sometimes I think about what a shame it would be. If I couldn't do that anymore or if that wasn't something that I could pass on to my kids experiencing that environment. And there's definitely somewhat of a need, feeling of a need to want to help protect that. And I think that's probably image wise. I guess that's what comes to my head first being, you know, in in the mountains, kind of in the sticks and and being able to look, you know, uh, to the horizon and see all the beauty and and nature around you. Kind of, you know, mountains in the spring, summertime and and i guess when i go deeper than that i do think about animals and that's probably related to the fact that i'm i'm a bit of an animal person and you know i like aquariums i like zoos to a certain degree right it's somewhat jail for those animals right <laughs> but it's it's cool to be able to experience certain things and you know i guess as as human beings there's a responsibility for like we are causing problems for for you know for these animals for these plants for this mountain range, right? It's whatever, whatever, whatever is, is taking a turn for the worst. That's a direct cause of human action or inaction. I guess it's something that I, that I probably wish I could help more. And I, I and, and at some degree, I feel like, you know, where's the time, right? How to, I wish I had the time to go volunteer and, and uh, be done for a month and just work on, you know, walking around and protecting tree, tree lines and, and, and mountain ranges. And I I think for me, that's probably somewhat of a barrier too, because I think about time
1: commitments. Oh, that barrier is there for, that's one of the biggest barriers. That barrier is almost universal. And it's really, it really inhibits people because they feel like if, if what I do isn't enough, then it won't count. And therefore why bother?
0: But yeah, you you get kind of this like circular, like, oh, well, I guess not type of deal. Right. In in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah. The thing about that is, that logic would also say if you wanted to play Carnegie Hall, there'd be no point in playing scale. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but of course, playing scales is exactly what gets to get to Carnegie Hall. You got to play a lot of them. And the people who played Carnegie Hall probably did the most scales of anyone. Yeah. But I want to I go back. I, when you talked about the mountain range, I wasn't sure if you were talking about, were you talking about like mountain ranges in general that you know about or you've seen pictures of? Or are you thinking of a specific, are you like seeing through your eyes? a time in the past when you've been in mountains or, or multiple times, is it like mountains in general or is it specific times that you've been there yourself?
0: Yeah, no, great question. And it's definitely specific times I've been and to the, to the Rocky mountains, oh, mostly, yeah. you know, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, you know, Yellowstone park, stuff like that. Uh where the Teton mountain ranges, I've actually gotten a chance to climb the grand Teton uh, when I was 15. And so yeah, when I am when I say mountain range, I'm thinking specifically like standing at the top of the Grand and looking down over the mountain range and just being awed in the beauty or, you know, late night, you know, coming back late from fishing, getting back to the campground and it's a clear night and the stars are so bright that you almost feel like you could reach out and grab them out of the sky. You know, oh. definitely very specific images. Man, that's, I
1: mean... I was going to say that it's poetic. It's not poetic in the sense of like it sounded like poetry, but it certainly is what you just said. I, I'm sure you're just casually saying it, or maybe you weren't, but it's certainly recalled times that I've been out. Even though you're talking about your view, it, they're so universal. Yeah. And you also talked about it would be a shame if if you were to lose things like that. What's prompting the the possible sense of loss or sense of possible loss?
0: Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. I guess it, it probably comes from a, a few different directions, but... I guess for me, there's, you know, I never really thought about it before. That's a really interesting question. I think definitely one of the places it comes from is my dad's dad, Chris's Chris's father, my grandfather. He and I became very close at a young age because he's the one who took me camping, him and my grandmother. And he he's the one who taught me how to fish, you know, put a fishing pole in my hand when I was three years old. And, you know, I got to experience a lot of that stuff with him. And I think that there's probably a very subconscious need. I don't have children yet, but you know, I I imagine my future at some point, me sticking a, a, a pole in, in my kid's hand and showing them how to cast just right and you know, making sure that if if you if you're drinking soda while we're out fishing, right, and you put it back in your bag, you don't leave it there next to the next to the river. You know, little things like that. And I think that's probably where it stems from for me, because it was just you know, I got a lot of good memories in that environment as a kid. And and I want to be able to share that with, with other people that I care about as well.
1: Uh, you might listen, like listening to the episode I did with Brian Brayman, who's a Philadelphia Eagle. And I'm from Philly. He brought the Vince Lapardi trophy home. This is a little bit after they won the the Super Bowl. And he, he also, for him, it was the Pacific Northwest. I'm not sure if it was the mountains or just the woods, but also his grandfather taking him fishing. So if, that, I suppose people do leave their cans out there, and sometimes you see them.
0: Yeah, that's that's probably the unfortunate part about fishing in beautiful places. Is eventually you're going to come across a trash pile that some some jerk or some group of jerks left because they were too lazy to pack their trash out. <laughs> it does happen.
1: <laughs> I've definitely had people that I've spoken to, and they're like, "That is a big motivator for a lot of people seeing other, what other people done that they find unconscionable." Or I mean, I mean, that's what's got me going out to the river. And um, yeah, last time I talked about that guy who just threw his tissue on the ground and he got me of of like how not to talk to him. (laughs) Would you like it if I came to your neighborhood and lived in your neighborhood? Like Josh, you sound like a third grade teacher. (laughs) Anyway, so thinking of these images of your experience, raw with nature, connecting with your grandfather and the possible loss do these things conjure up anything of, I hope I've heightened something that, that might give you something that, is there something that you could do uh, on a daily basis or in your life, even if you're not in the Rockies, that would connect with things like that?
0: You know, there's a uh, there's a lake that's not that far from here, from, well, from where I live in my neighborhood, that uh, people do fish at, people jog around, right? It's, it's a bit of a, it's kind of like the secret a uh, place where if you're if you're into exercise, you kind of know about. But if you live in the neighborhood and and you don't jog and things or ride bikes, you probably don't aren't aware of it or fish. But I've definitely been out by this lake, you know, just getting in on my own little workout and seeing trash around that lake and just been disappointed to see it, but didn't take action. You know, didn't stop. To like, well, you know, it's such a shame that that's there. Who's what a jerk? Like, how how could you possibly you know, create a mess like that and then walk away from it. But then, you know, now now I'm thinking about it, I almost got to ask myself, am I just as bad by walking by that, knowing that it bothers me and then continuing about my day as if I never saw it at all. And so, you know, from, from a personal side, when I see, when I run into things like that, yeah, taking a little bit of action, taking two, three minutes out of my day probably wouldn't be a bad thing.
1: So it feels like you got something to work with there. Let's make it a smart goal.
0: Yeah, I, I like that. You know, next time, next time I'm out at that lake or the next, next several times I'm out at that lake, I'm going to make sure not only am I going to keep my eye open for trash, but if I see it there, I am going to make sure that it makes it to the trash can. Hmm.
1: So now I'm really curious and now I want to hear how it goes. Uh, do you want to schedule one or do you want to leave it open? Because I'm not sure how often you're going to be there.
0: Yeah. Why don't we, why don't we leave it open? And, uh, cause at this point I'm probably, I'm probably out there, you know, maybe once a week, you know, with all the travel, I'm, I'm actually not home that much for like the next couple of months, but when I do make it out there, um, you know, I'm definitely going to keep my
1: eyes peeled. All right. And then you have an open invitation from, from me to, you know, let me know if, or when you want to share it. I mean, it might not be a public thing that you want to share, but if it is, then I'd love to bring it to the audience and, and help create a legacy for others to listen and be like, I could do that too. <laughs> no, or maybe you'll feel terrible. You'll get tetanus and die. I don't know.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> so Brandon died since the last <laughs> time we, uh, yeah, right? he didn't have gloves on right now. Yeah. No, I'd be happy to talk about it, man. I, I enjoy, um, you know, I think it's cool. You know, you having me on here, especially with the, the, the list of guests you've had in the past. And, um, you know, I enjoy kicking things around with you, you know, cause you got, you got an interesting perspective on the way you approach life. And without question, it has made me consider things in a different way. And so, you know, I, I, I enjoy, uh, you know, kicking things around with you, man. I'd be happy to talk about it.
1: Well, Part of it came from conversations like this with other people and some in the future. They're going to get a little bit because of this conversation with you. I mean, I'm trying to incorporate all, all the stuff that works and certainly negotiation is a part of it. Yeah. Yeah, man. Without so, a doubt. All right. Let me wrap up with uh, anything that I didn't think to ask. And then anything you want to say directly to the listeners?
0: Um. Well, I'm again, I'm happy to be on here. I think, I think that this is a very cool thing, you know, grateful for the opportunity to, to, to kick some things around with you and, and be happy to come back and talk about some more stuff as, as far as uh, for the listeners out there, you know. Thank again. Thanks for listening. You know, Josh. Josh is a, is a great guy, right? Gives gives a, his audience a lot of good things to think about and, and new stuff to consider all the time. But um, on the leadership side, you know, one of the things that uh, is is really has been a big component for us. And and I think I may have mentioned this last time, but just to reiterate, you know, Derek Derek Gaunt's book. You know, one of our main instructors. He came out with that book on leadership, ego, authority, failure. But specifically, what I want to point to is, um, you know, he talks about this this HNL in his book, this this hostage negotiator leadership framework. And he really starts to get into the meat of it, you know, right in the beginning of chapter one there in the book. But he talks about it relying heavily on, you know, the sequence and the way that you communicate with other individuals and how your emotional intelligence makes you a better leader. And, you know, he gets in depth on how to use those things. And I think, you know, if you're not doing it already, right, you know that there's a direct connection between emotional intelligence and success in the business world. So if you're not taking full advantage of it, you know, now's 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 the time to kind of make a difference. Very similar to what what Josh is challenging me to in regards to, you know, my environment. You know, now's the time to take action and and make a difference. So um while I'm doing the same thing, I, I implore you to do so as well.
1: Well, thank you very much. And I I have to add, since last time I signed up for your newsletter, and it, that certainly made me laugh. So uh, can, we, can we put that back on again? Because I didn't memorize it. I just signed up. Uh, how can a listener get into your newsletter?
0: Oh, yeah, sure, sure. So you can sign up for the newsletter on our website, which is uh, www.blackswanltd.com. Or you can sign up through text message. And so if you just text the words FBI Empathy, it's all one word, all capital letters, FBI Empathy. If you text that to the number 22828, you'll be prompted with a link to to sign up uh, via your cell phone to our our weekly newsletter. And that comes out every Tuesday, and it'll hit your inbox at about 9 a.m. your local time.
1: So FBI empathy to two two eight two eight. Yep, all one word, all capital letters.
0: All right. Well, Brendan Voss, thank you very much. Josh, it was it was great talking with you again, man. Thanks for having me.
1: I'm not sure if you heard how this conversation was about support and reward, while still focusing on doing things on action. Most conversations I see on the environment are analytical and judgmental. Government should do this. Corporation should do that. Anything but. I'm going to act. When he said that he was already doing things, I saw that revealing a tragic result of the mainstream environmental message around here, that acting distracts or it's a chore, something you don't want to do. I felt that way. I used to feel that way. But now it's become something that adds to my life or takes away annoyance. When he asked for suggestions of things to do, I didn't answer. Instead, I went back to his cares, his images, which I tried to help make more specific, not general. I read that he wants to do this more than he wanted to do the smiling thing before. So I look forward to hearing how his experience with the lake compares with the smiling experience. Did you feel inspired too? Then act. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and click to commit to your personal challenge so you can inspire others. Value means better and worse. And living by your values means living better by your values. You may struggle at first, but it's the hero's journey from living by others' values to living by yours. People say that little things add up. I won't argue against it, but what I find counts is acting. Doing something, anything, starts that mindset shift from the debilitating others should act first or making excuses to the empowering I can make a difference and living by my values improves my life. I don't have to wait for others to act first. I'm looking for leaders, people who will bring what works here in this podcast to communities I haven't reached. Billions of people want to change their behavior. There's room for leadership from personal leadership of just yourself to whatever scale you want. Start by acting and changing yourself. Go to joshuasbodak.com slash podcast and commit to your personal challenge.